This podcast is dedicated to Alan Rickman. We will miss you. Thank you so much for sharing your life with us for so long and giving us so many characters to look back on. There will be no foolish wand-waving or silly incantations in this class. As such, I don't expect many of you to appreciate the subtle science and exact art that is potion-making. However, for those select few who possess the predisposition. I can teach you how to bewitch the mind and ensnare the senses. I can tell you how to bottle fame, brew glory, and even put a stopper in death. Then again, maybe some of you have come to Hogwarts in possession of abilities so formidable that you feel confident enough to not pay attention. Mr. Potter, our new celebrity. You're listening to Trek FM. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. There was a little bar in Mill Valley where all the Starfleet trainees used to go. The 602 Club. You know it. <laughs> I was there more times than I can remember. I wondered when I'd be seeing you, Mr. Potter. It seems only yesterday that your mother and father were in here buying their first ones. I wonder. everyone I've ever sold, Mr. Potter. It so happens that the phoenix, whose tail feather resides in your wand, gave another feather. Just one other. It is curious that you should be destined for this wand when its brother gave you that scar. And who owned that wand? We do not speak his name. The one chooses the wizard, Mr. Potter. It's not always clear why. But I think it is clear that we can expect great things from you. After all, he who must not be named did great things. Terrible. Great 
Welcome everyone to Trek FM's local watering hole. We are here at the Leaky Cauldron. I mean, the 602 Club. And I am so excited to be here tonight. We're going to start off a retrospective that is going to last us all the way till November when we talk about Fantastic Beasts and where to find them. And my lovely co-host, Drea from Educating Geeks, reminded me that this is the 15th anniversary of Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. Now, if you don't know what that is, go look it up. You'll figure it out. Um, I'm not a stupid American. I know what the Philosopher's Stone is, so I refuse to call it the <laughs> Sorcerer's Stone. I, I don't I don't need you to dumb it down for me, Scholastic, okay? Okay. Um, I have some amazing hosts. I'm super excited to have them here. As I already mentioned, Drea, welcome back to the Leaky Cauldron. Thanks for having me. I love coming to the Leaky Cauldron. Uh, did you get your pumpkin juice or some fire whiskey? Uh, fire whiskey. It's been a long day. Yeah. <laughs> I hear you. And back for the first time here in a, quite a while, Tristan Riddell from To The Journey. Guys, where are you? That's where everybody goes, to oh. the journey! <laughs> Even <laughs> I was, come on! I felt like I needed to do oh. that, but I was like... I'm... Epic fail. Anyway, Tristan, it's great to have you back. I, even I was, I missed that wow. one, because I thought I was, I thought he was going to mention my other podcast. I was like, come on, man, it's the nerd party. It's like, oh, he wants me to scream, sorry. Uh, yes, no, it's... Well, and I wanted, <laughs> I wanted to make sure that we said to the journey so everybody could yell, and then I could mention the nerd party, which is your <laughs> other great podcast that you do with Matt Hansen. Yeah, well, thank you so much for the, for the warm welcome. Yeah, I've been looking for a chance to come back for a long time but i think the last time i was on was a rebels season one retrospective is that right i think it yeah. was and i mean we've got some great things coming up in rebels we're going to be geeking out on the show again later on hopefully we'll be able to get john mills or bruce gibson to join us there because rebel season two looks like it's going to end excellently so um now before we get going guys you know that the 602 club is part of trek fm's network of podcasts so many different shows for you to check out so you need to make sure that you're checking all of them out at itunes.com slash trek fm now we're also on our own website at trek.fm you can contact us you can contact the show at trek.fm just choose the show choose the 602 club that'll come to me i'll make sure to respond back to you as soon as possible you could leave us a voicemail look in the sidebar in the show page or go to speakpipe.com slash trek fm we are on twitter at Trek FM. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash Trek FM. And of course, we have the Babel Conference, which is our listeners only discussion group. You just need to go to Facebook, type Babel into the search field, or you can go to our website at trek.fm and click discussion on the menu bar. I'm going to mention this a couple of times. We have a really cool contest going on right now. If you leave us a review and rating and iTunes for the Star Wars feed. We're giving away some sweet gifts. Um, I've got a great Star Wars A New Hope mug. I've got a Ractagino mug. I've got a Spock t-shirt from Omaze. And the art of The Force Awakens coming from Norm as well. That's four gifts. So make sure you go and review and rate the 602 Club Star Wars feed on iTunes. Check it out. You're going to love it. And you could be the winner. Whew! Okay, guys. Uh, back to the Leaky Cauldron. And I wanted to ask, before we even got to the film, 
whether you're a muggle or a wizard. What about you, Drea? I'm a wizard, Harry. <laughs> well, how did you how did you find, you know, Harry Potter? What got you into the series and then what made you a fan of it in the first place? So, I got into the books before the movies. Uh, when I was growing up, my sister was about four years younger than me, and she was struggling to uh, to read more complicated things um, when the books came out. So one of her teachers suggested that my mom pick up a long book like Lord of the Rings or something like that, and that they learn to read together. Um, and the best like children's fantasy book at the time was Harry Potter. And so they started reading it aloud, and when they would make their way through it, I would just pick it up and read it myself. So I got to kind of go through the whole series and, you know, it was really cool getting to see like my sister learn from something that was really like fun and exciting as well. Um, and then obviously, so, cause I love the books when the movies came out, I watched the movies and I love the movies. Um, I just love the fantasy of it and I felt like she didn't go overboard with anything. Nothing was so unrealistic. You couldn't believe it. Everything had like a slight chance that like this could be real somewhere, even though there's like that that party that's like, oh, yeah, right. Uh-huh. Come on. Um, but just those elements of it, I think, made it really relatable because um, I would have been like late junior high, early high school when I started reading them. So what about you, Tristan? Uh, well, I first got interested in Harry Potter with with the movie with uh, Philosopher Stone as you erudite uh, refer to it as I uh, I actually I was just the other day I accidentally referred to it as Philosopher's Stone and everyone around me just had this biggest eye roll you could practically hear their eyes clicking from the left <laughs> to the right and I I didn't do it on purpose I'm just like I'm sorry they're like oh oh my god Tristan please please what are you on an episode of Frasier come on and and so I <laughs> It, regardless, I I got interested with the when the movies came out because obviously I was aware of the phenomenon that was Harry Potter the the books, but I didn't um, read them until after I I didn't I didn't start reading the books until after Prisoner of Azkaban came out in theater. I I never really connected with the books as much as other people did, and I know I I have zero street cred when it comes to this because I I connect more with the movies than the books. Uh, even though I do in, in, in enjoy them, um, I, I think I enjoy the idea of them more. But what I did was, whenever um, the movie would come out, then I would go read the books. Because I I kind of have this stance when it comes to movies where um, I like to see the movie first, then watch the book. because uh, Then watch the book, wow. Um, and, then, and then read the book. What is it? Tristan, does it ever do anything? <laughs> Sometimes like, it moves and I have it to one hit of those it with a monster like, book. Is that like babysitting? <laughs> But like my my philosophy is is that you know you have a two hour movie, I could see this two hour movie and then get tons of bonus material and get an even richer experience with the book, or I could read the book first and then just get disappointed because not everything was included in the movie. So that's kind of how I went along with watching the movies and reading the books. It's funny that you say that. That's exactly how my wife is, and so I don't think that's silly at all. You know, she's really helped me see how that's a valid form. I, I'm on the opposite end. I always, well, I don't always, but I'm almost always trying to read the book before I see the movie. And, and that's just kind of my MO. And I did the same thing with, with Harry Potter. You know, I, I was in a culture when the books came out where was Harry Potter good? Should we be reading Harry Potter oh, kind of yeah. thing? And so I was like, well, 
yeah, I'm just going to read it for myself, and I'll make the decision. And I remember sitting, and I, one of my favorite Barnes and Nobles there in Dallas. You know, I'm in college at the time, and I sit down, I I pop open this book, and um, by that time, you know, I think already three of them are out, uh, and I'm reading the Sorcerer's Stone because that's what it's called, and. Uh, America, because we're idiots, and Smurf. I I read that first chapter, and she just sucks me into this book. Like I I'm I'm in. Like I am totally sold out to what she's doing. And I think what drew me in and kept me in was what you were saying, Drea. Is that Rowling is able to create a world that you feel like is just beyond your front door, and that if you had the eyes to see it, you'd see it. You know, if you knew what to look for, you'd you'd be able to 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 figure out where the leaky cauldron really was in London. You know, I mean, that's what's so great is that I I honestly think you know beyond the Lord of the Rings and like the Chronicles of Narnia and Star Wars in the seventies coming out, Harry Potter was probably one of the greatest creations in literature. And then when they moved it to film. Like the last 50 years. I mean, it's just an incredible thing. And what kept me going and is getting to reread them and finding more and more about all the connections she was making. I mean, even when you read this book and then you start reading the rest of them, she drops all these things in and you're like, I had no idea where that was going to be important, but it is now. You're a genius. You know, so I, I think to me, it was the storytelling aspect, and then she created fantastic characters that just stayed with you. You know, whether you saw them on film or you read them in the book, you know, they come alive in both places, and that's pretty amazing. Uh, so, yeah, I guess you could probably call me a wizard. Um, so. so do we all know what um, what house we would be in? Because all, all of us, I'm, I'm, hopefully all three of us, have an idea of what house we would be in, right? I, I yeah I am on the Pottermore website and uh, I have to say I'm a Hufflepuff. Go Honey Badgers! Oh, I can totally see that, Matthew. I can totally see that. Yeah. What can I say? Don't mess with the Honey Badger, though. He'll, he'll get you. <laughs> what about you, Drea? Do you know? Are you on Pottermore? Uh, I am. Uh, and I was a Ravenclaw. I oh, was a Ravenclaw nice. as well, but I cannot remember what Pottermore told me. It's been a long time. I signed up when it first came out, but I haven't been on since. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It's been yeah. a while. I mean, since it I depends did. on the day. I'm either a Ravenclaw or a Gryffindor if I'm feeling relatively brave <laughs> that day. <laughs> but no, I, I think you know, and I think that was a cool thing that she created as well. That was so interesting is that she created a place for all different types of kids to to feel like they belonged. You know, if if you were the, the the super smart one, you know, you could end up in a place like Ravenclaw, and you'd be among those kind of people. I guess if you were evil, you'd end up no. Uh, and Slytherin. No, it was talented. Yes. If you're ta- naturally uh-huh. talented, you were Slytherin. Ambitious. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Zealous. Yeah. There you go. Uh, you know, and and if you were like the brave, courageous kid, you'd be a Gryffindor. And if you were the 
the goofable, lovable weirdo, you'd be in Hufflepuff because everybody's that you know in Hufflepuff. Unless you're Luna Lovegood for some reason. Yeah, that's who's weird. Brilliant and kind of a little loony. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm pretty sure the Sorting Hat had a really hard time putting her. Somewhere, I was so. uh, I was watching. Uh, uh, I can't remember what it, what it was, but like somebody did something overly goofy or overly stupid, and one guy's like, "How Hufflepuff is that?" <laughs> it's just completely out of nowhere. <laughs> Awesome. Oh man, I feel like I just start using that. I know, in real right? Life. I, I feel uh, like we should we should start <laughs> yeah. using that in real life. Because they, they were not talking about Harry Potter. It was nothing to do with magic. It just came out of just I was like, oh my gosh, look at this guy. <laughs> That's hilarious. That's hilarious. That's kinda like for some reason, I kind of feel like Chris Pratt would be a Hufflepuff. Oh, yeah. Anyway, oh, that's yeah, cool. No, totally. that's, yeah. Anyway. yeah. I can see that. I can see that. Uh, okay. <laughs> we're going to get way off track. Um, <laughs> what, oh, one of the cool things about this movie, and I think probably the hardest thing, is it's the first of a beloved series, even by the time this film comes out. And so creating Harry's Wondrous World and bringing that to life, the vision that you're going to create is going to set the foundation for everything else that comes next. Whether, you know, it's the tone, what the Wizarding World's going to look like, what Harry's world outside the Wizarding World's going to look like, the costume sets, Hogwarts, Diagon Alley, Pivot Drive, you know, the effects they'll use to create it all. Everything that people have imagined in their minds is now going to be put on screen. And unfortunately, and sometimes fortunately for others, it'll take over what you thought of. And it'll create your vision. Like, to me, Harry Potter is Daniel Radcliffe these days. You know, like, it always will be. And so, how did you guys feel when you saw the film and it created this this world for you? Tristan, I know you hadn't uh, read the book yet, but now that you have and you go back and you watch the movie, how do you feel like they bring all this to life as they're really laying the foundation for harry and you know everything that's going to come next well i feel like um after after seeing the movie because my my mom is a um is a is a crazy reader she always has a, a book in her hands and she was in love with harry potter from the word go i mean she's she's an anglophile and she tried to raise me as such and so anything anything like fantasy related and British related, she's oh my gosh, she's there, and so I was exposed to it uh, very early on, and then she she showed me the movie. Like she immediately went out and bought the DVD when it came out and showed me the movie, and um, I remember just being wrapped up in this world because everything was so tangible and cool, and you know, like me being a a huge Star Trek nerd. Um, all the like Star Trek, Star Trek science kind of robs you of the mysteries and the magic of things. And I felt like Harry Potter kind of brought that back in a very grimy way. And I mean that very lovingly. And, you know, like, like when you have slimy slugs and you have, um, you know, like dirty owls and, and everything like that, it's just it's so lovably grimy. And um, that's one thing I definitely appreciated. And But from a from a technical standpoint, or a critical one after i read the book i had a, a much deeper appreciation for steve cloves the screen the screenwriter of the movie because i was really chagrined to find out that he did not win an award <laughs> for for harry potter uh and the sorcerer's stone and it, it because after seeing the movie and then reading the book you realize the herculean task that he had 
in order to not just figure out what to include, but what not to include. And it wasn't just excising excerpts, as it it never is when you are adapting a book to film, but the way that he was able to blend certain scenes together that were in completely different parts of the book and and um, share characters' lines and reorganize, it just flowed so perfectly. Like, the book is great on its own, and the movie is great on its own, but it's just the adaptation, the, the skill that went into making this movie from behind the scenes as well as in front, I thought was staggering. Well, and the first the first Harry Potter novel was the first novel that Rowling ever wrote. Like, she's got, her story is pretty well known that she was a struggling single mom writing in a coffee shop because it was a world that she wanted to escape to, which is why I feel like part of it's so relatable is like, she wanted to escape, so she made a world she could escape to. And so many others of us, either as kids or adults, have that desire at times, too. So to make that world relatable. But you also have to take into account, like, it was her mm-hmm. first one. So it honestly, it was really, really good. But, like, there were very apparent flaws in things, too, that just come from an, a first, like, you can just see her writing strengthen from the beginning to the end of the series. So that alone, having to adapt a brand new writer with this fat, like, this just fascinating hit was a, a giant task of its own. Um, one of the things that struck me about every single Harry Potter movie, but particularly this one, was the lighting. They really use lighting to their advantage, which is something that I don't think a lot of films do anymore or don't do as well. And, you know, the book, she, the versions that we read growing up had illustrations, not tons, but the occasional either, at, I think they were all at the beginning of the chapter. Um, And so it kind of gave you an idea of what she wanted you to kind of go with to begin with. And then their casting was just spot on. Whoever cast these movies should get an award for casting. (laughs) Like, they were phenomenal. They were exactly who I thought they should be and what they should be. And, you know, it it was pretty great. So seeing all the drawings of Harry in the book, Daniel Radcliffe, to me, is like a perfect fit for that I, if i could interject real quick before matt before before you jump in it's really funny that you talk about lighting uh and the importance of lighting because the cinematographer just got nominated for an oscar for mad max fury fury road and i just think that's so great that he let you can see his influence in harry potter and it, it's it made a mark on you and he came out of retirement and the guy is so skillful that he came out of retirement for a movie and then, boom, got an Oscar nomination for it. <laughs> ah, well, I, I hate mean, it when that happens. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, stop with <laughs> the Oscars, okay? Uh, anyway, I just they're just bookends at this point. Um, you know, I I love how everybody has, like, kind of a different thing that they're taking in, in about this movie and the way that it sets everything up. And for me... Uh, Tristan, I think you nailed it. You know, the tactile nature of this film, the fact that they actually went to a lot of different places to film the in- ex- interiors and exteriors for the castle, they're, you know, they're they're creating a world, but it's actually one that we live in. You know, you can go visit those castles or the cathedrals that they use in England and so you immediately feel like you said that it's it's a real place. You know, uh, they go to King's Cross Station and, and uh, they uh, 
Diagon Alley. It's it's this wonderful set that they've created that's so intricate. I remember uh, Rowling talking about walking that the first time and that she was just blown away about how it had captured what was in her imagination and they had brought it to life so she felt like it felt like the place that she had created. Um, I think everything there is just so wonderful. I mean, you know, Hogwarts and and moving staircases and all of that. And like you said, too, again, in this movie, it's practical. You know, we, we talk a lot these days about practical sets and real effects and everything. And when they do those things and you have a moving staircase that the kids are on and you know it's actually moving, it's just a cool, it feels like you're getting to live vicariously. You know, you get to go to Hogwarts every year and... I think uh, Christopher Columbus does not get enough credit and the people working on this film don't get enough credit for creating a foundation that will let other people play around with it later on. But this is such a solid foundation. Uh, it, I mean, it's just incredible. I mean, and, and I want to praise again Christopher Columbus. He's got hundreds of kids every day. He's trying to pull <laughs> performances from these kids have never really acted before, most of them, and he's slowly cra- trying to craft them into thespians. You know, it, it and and the the work that they do is just incredible. I I think the only thing that I could say about the creation that probably doesn't work as well these days is this isn't always ILM's best work. Uh, I will say the troll looks a little cartoonish now. But that's okay. It it fits this the the film. Uh, I'd say Quidditch still looks pretty cool, and I think that's probably where they spent most of their time was trying to make that look real, you know. And the centaur probably is one of the worst CGI creations I've ever. It's seen. really funny because uh, I don't mind really the centaur bad. that much. Yeah. Oh, really? That's like awesome. I, I remember. Yeah. I know you and I have di- uh, disagreed on many many a CGI character in the past, but. Um, for some reason, I was going back and I remember seeing the troll going, yeah, yeah, that's pretty bad. That looks a lot like uh, <laughs> like a Snoke from Force Awakens. But um, <laughs> when I was when I saw the because uh, I just rewatched all of them over Christmas break, um, which for some reason I always do. I don't know why. Um, but when I saw the centaur, I was just like, I was like, OK, you know, it's 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 not great CGI, but they're hiding it in the shadows or hiding it in the forest. And I was like, that's OK. That's all right. It's fine. He's magical. And see, I didn't like the end of that scene when Voldemort goes running away from the centaur. To me, that looked like a stage play and like he was on a wire and moving behind a set piece. Like that's what it looked like. That was the part to me that I was like, whoa, it has been 15 <laughs> years. Yeah. Well, and, and I mean, you know, it's funny you mentioned that because a lot of that used to be done in water and they would film those kind of scenes underwater where the so the, they could get the flowy cape and everything and then they would composite it all together like the spirit of it, it Christmas kinda, past in the Muppet egg Carol. Exactly. It looks, yeah, it's very similar to that. So, yeah. and, and they do the same thing, um, you know, with things like in uh, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark uh, and stuff like that too. So that's a film technique they used to use and it. Yeah, it kind of looks like that, but you're right. It is 15 years ago and CGI definitely what it wasn't what it was, you know, so. Me- Matt, I'm really glad that you you brought up Christopher Columbus. N- not to not to backtrack too much, but just that he doesn't get enough credit because there there are a lot of Harry Potter fans who are kind of segmented. Um, where you know, like I I find diehard Christopher Columbus Harry Potter fans, and then I find some um, 
Oh my god, I suck at these people's names. Um, Alfonso Corion. Yeah, like Alfonso Corion yeah. um, fans. And then who's the last guy again who made like the last four? David Yates. David yeah. Yates, thank you. And then like they're hardcore David Yates fans. Um, like my wife is a huge, like her favorite ones are the Christopher Columbus ones. And she always, she she says that. She doesn't say Sorcerer's Stone and Chamber of Secrets. She says the Christopher Columbus ones. And if you look, if once you read the, the beauty of JK's writing, good old JK, um, when she started out with Philosopher's Stone, it was very much, you know, like it's, it's the chocolate frogs. It's, it's the, it's the every flavor beans, you know, it's, and even in like at the end, you know, like the bad guy isn't, it's, you know, like Harry gets out, gets out scot-free and he barely even touches him, you know? And it's like, it's, it's fun and fluffy in, in a non-derogatory way, uh, but still has substance. And then as it, as the books get, further and further on they get darker and darker because the books age with the audience with the readership and so do the movies and with with the first two movies you need a director like christopher columbus you can't have alfonso Cuarón do the first two you can't have david yates do the first two you needed someone like christopher columbus you needed the goonies you needed the goonies spirit yeah you needed the pixels i mean crap uh <laughs> not i mean, I mean <laughs> there's, goonies there's there's no Yotu Mama Tambien kind of moments in this film, you know, because you're not going to get that with 11 year olds. Uh, that would have been and... awkward if I was watching that with my mom. Yeah. That would have been real awkward. <laughs> it would have been awkward if you were watching Woo. it at all. Yeah. Um, but I know you're exactly right. And, and, and what's so great is that, and especially if you've watched any of the extras and you're watching Chris get down on his knee and talk to the kids on their level, talk to them like they're a person, not just a kid, but an actor he's trying to get a performance out of, you know, he's able to just create a set that allows these kids to grow. And uh, Dre and I were talking a little bit before uh, on the other side of the bar that, you know, one of the best things about this film is that they cast all of these kids and all of these kids become good actors, you know, like none of them suck. And that's a testament, I think, to Chris and his work with them at the beginning and giving them good habits. And then, of course, I mean, gosh, when you get to work with, you know, Alan Rickman and Maggie Smith and, uh, you know, all of these amazing people, uh, Richard Harris and, and beyond, it's just insane what you get to learn. You know, I mean, Gary Oldman, I, the list goes on and on. It's like every great British actor, except for like Helen Mirren has worked in Harry Potter. Sorry, Helen. Uh, <laughs> apparently just wasn't a spot for you. So anyway, you can talk to JK about that. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it's it's incredible. So the work I think that they do here, I think this, the Philosopher's Stone, Sorcerer's Stone kind of gets downplayed for a lot of Harry Potter fans, like Tristan, I think you get those fans who are just a little hoity-toity sometimes about Harry Potter and like, oh, well, it didn't really get good until, you know, the Prisoner of Azkaban. But it it only could grow that way, I think, is because of what they did here uh, because it was great setup. It's a great foundation. So She was playing the long game. She was doing all the expositional she needed to do at the beginning, giving you all the world and setting you up so that she could just play in it for the next six books and not have to go back and re-explain herself every single time. Well, Which, as yeah. a reader, you're thankful for that you're not reading a third of a book that's just explaining what you read in the first third of the last book. That's, to me, just lazy. 
Well, and then each book, she just continues to add more and more growth to that world. And like you said, instead of repeating herself, it's just another layer and then another mm -hmm. layer. And then by the time you get to the fourth book, it's like 12 layers in one book. <laughs> so <laughs> what do you guys think? Let's start with uh, when we're talking about the actors and the Trinity uh, of Harry, Ron, and Hermione. And how do these kids work for you, especially in this first movie? I uh I think it really it's a it's amazing when you look back on on how far they've come and the chemistry that they had right off the bat because from the word go when they were on the Hogwarts Express all at the same time that's really when it it took off that's really when the movie took off for me is that yeah it's a great opening and seeing Harry deal with the Dursleys and meeting Hagrid for the first time and going to King's Cross and and uh, and everything of that nature was fantastic and iconic, but the movie did not start for me until the three of them got together. And this was before I read the book that I felt this way. And this is before I knew what on earth was was in store for me. And and that that's a huge testament to the casting choices and their acting abilities that they saw something in these kids that probably not a lot of people did, and it it paid off and just the like how hoity um you know like uh hermione was when she's like you got dirt right there you know that you know like <laughs> like and then she she walks off and then like just the fact that you know like rupert grant actually does have dirt on his nose you know like that's just that's just hysterical <laughs> uh i was hermione <laughs> <laughs> and, and the whole idea that just like it's framed so well that harry is the audience you know, like we get to experience this world through Harry and there's there's several times in TV shows and movies and everything like that where a side character is the audience where like every they have to explain everything to this side character because they're stupid. It's not it's very rarely the protagonist who has everything explained to him. And so we got to go on this journey with him and feel like we're the hero of the story. My wife said uh, you, you could really do a drinking game with. How many times does Harry repeat what somebody said to him? <laughs> Take a drink. Oh, so crap. I probably can... just broke the glass. Like, I'm just like, oh my God. Yeah, exactly. I have to so, watch it again now. Yeah, just, there you go, Drea. I know yeah. you love your drinking games there on Educating Geeks. So. Oh, I do. Um, yeah, what did you end up thinking about, uh, you know, Emma and Rupert and Daniel? What did you end up thinking about their performances, especially here when they're at their youngest uh, as, as actors? So it was awkward. It was, but a good awkward, like, like a little, like, like you'd expect an 11 year old to be awkward. Like it was the right kind of awkward. And at the same time, um, like kids of that age, sort of, they're just starting to form their social nuances in terms of deciding between friends. Um, like most of the time when you have kids that age, you take them on a play date and you just like let them go. And they're all like, oh yeah, we're good. We're friends. Like they can play with anyone. Um, so they're just starting to get to the point where he can make decisions like choosing the we Weasley over uh, Draco. And just seeing that like initial bond and having Harry be able to right off the bat acknowledge like the good in these two characters and like how he trusts them right away, um, partially because he doesn't really have a choice. He doesn't have anyone else. Um, and them just sort of like going with it, but not because he's this chosen one. Um, the characters themselves were interesting and the, the actors were 
were perfect because they didn't have this relationship to begin with. They got to build it literally while we watched the movie. Like it happened in in real life for us. Um, So I I really, I've always really loved the Trinity. Um, I've always been a a Trinity supporter. Um, And I, I just, I think that these, these actors, and I think that the concept of taking brand new actors and putting them together as if they're kids at school was just brilliant. Like it just worked <laughs> and there was no better way to have done that. Well, and it's smart apart from the Trinity, just think, of, you know, you're going to have all these kids and they keep coming back for each movie. And so they continue to grow in their own friendship. So it really does start to feel like a real place because all of these kids form all of these friendships for real, you know, and I'm kind of with you, but the moment Tristan for me that cements how good these kids really are is that scene when they are walking up the uh, staircase to their dormitories and Hermione's like, I'm going to bed before either of you find another clever idea to get us killed or worse expelled and ron she walks away and goes in her room and ron's like she needs to sort out her priorities and it's the (laughs) banter that they are able to pull off is is fantastic they they just they have it they have this chemistry almost immediately and that's maybe that's because they are 11 year olds and they just found a way to be able to bond they liked each other and and they got really lucky (laughs) as a production team but you also can't teach what Daniel Radcliffe has, which Harry actually has in the book, is that really dry sense of humor, and it works so mm-hmm. well when he's like, yep. I think we're going to need another feather over here, Professor. I mean, and he continues yeah. to have lines like that throughout each movie, and he nails them every time, and it's just, it's great. So, um, The dry British humor is definitely like, Something that, knowing I loved it in Harry Potter, and when someone's like, oh, you should watch Doctor Who, I was like, well, I love the humor in Harry Potter, so let's give it a shot. Yeah, exactly. that, like, iconic British humor. I think we all just want to be British. I mean, I know I did from the moment I read (laughs) The Chronicles of Narnia, and I was like, by Jove, this is fantastic, you know? Um, And I kept saying brilliant, and people just looked at me weird. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. I just want to sound that sophisticated all the time. <laughs> I was, <laughs> not like a hick. <laughs> I always hate that the American accent is like the least sexiest accent in the world. <laughs> I, I hate that. It's it's so we sad. We just sound like a bunch of like chumps. Yeah, a British kid opens their mouth and sounds like the smartest person on the planet. So We just sound like uh, bloody yanks. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's terrible. Uh, Colonials. Uh, okay. oh i do love in terms of the casting though i love that they actually picked twins as um fred and george yes they didn't social network because they easily they like easily could have picked one person or two people that weren't actually twins and just looked enough alike but they actually cast twins and i i think that actually that made a huge difference for me Mm Well, and I love it. She gets one line in this movie, and, and I'm, I, w- I was a huge fan throughout reading the book, so I always liked Ginny. But yeah. I love little Ginny in this movie. She's Bonnie Wright. She's so adorable, and she's just like, good luck. And it's just so cute. <laughs> this big, know? wide eyes. I know. Like... I'm like, why can't I have a redheaded British kid as my own <laughs> child? Like, oh, I need to move. 
what did you guys think uh, just the, about the people that they did get to pr play the professors here? Um, you know, you have Richard Harris, a uh, storied actor playing Dumbledore, uh, and let's not compare him yet till you know, we get to Michael Gambon. That's a different thing. Um, you know, Maggie Smith, and you have Warwick Davis playing Flitwick. I mean, there's just, uh, I mean, the incredible Alan Rickman, who this we dedicated this episode to because he just passed away. I mean, it's an it's an incredible group of actors that they are able to find. You know, it's 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 almost as if they had a lineup of British actors and like the best ones, and like, okay, we'll use you, 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 and you. Don't worry, we'll get to you guys the next few movies. But Don't not worry. you, Helen Mirren. But not, not you, you, Helen Mirren. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, what did you guys think? Uh, did they kind of fill the role in your mind, especially for you, Drea? You had read the book, um, and then you, Tristan, after reading the book, did it work for you? I think my first thought on that was when McGonagall is the cat following him around at the very, very beginning when he's uh, turning out all the streetlights, um, which is one of the most iconic scenes of all the movies for me. And when he, um, when she becomes the person from the cat when she transmorphs, like I just remember being like, oh my God, it's Maggie Smith. I'm so excited. <laughs> like right off the bat, like she was perfect cast for me. I, I love Maggie Smith. So I really loved all of the actors, but that one to me stood out like that was a great pick. She makes a great stern nun or professor, whichever one you want to go with. But she makes a great stern fill in the blank. Yeah, I was a I was a huge fan of Maggie Smith too when when I first saw this movie because of you know Sister Act and Hook, of course. Yep. And um, I uh, just I first going through my my rewatch, it's you know she's the the first thing that one of the first things that you see in in the movie in the movie franchise and she's so perfect just the the stance that she has the way that she moves as McGonagall the way that she speaks and to this day I get literally misty in uh, Death, the Deathly Hallows part 2 when she starts commanding um uh the I can't remember their names but like the stone knights and she she says uh she's like do your duty protect our school I was, <laughs> you do that you protect our school <laughs> and then she does that wonderful thing she's like i always wanted to try that spell i know i just i melt i melt into my chair every single time i see it i i no joke like when i saw it in the theater i was just like yeah yeah I just she just does such a great job with the characters like at the same at the end of that movie too when she when she tells Seamus to go blow up the the um the bridge like this movie they start his pyromania mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. I don't remember that in the book but they totally do <laughs> he's talking about like fire and oh but fire is so cool isn't it and you're like wait a second you blow up the school later <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh Maggie Smith is is so good as McGonagall and it's just it's it's because she's Maggie Smith you know and and she just she's not necessarily doing anything special other than bringing herself to the role and and pouring into it everything that she has and so I really really I, I love that um for me I did actually really love Richard Harris as Dumbledore I thought that he had a warmth that um was really nice and and obviously he 
he felt very grandfatherly and and you know we'll talk about when we get to the second one he you can tell he's he's not himself um but in this movie i really liked some of his line deliveries and especially my favorite was when he was talking to harry about the mirror and just the way that he has that conversation with him and and the you know he's not angry with Harry. He comes in so lovingly. You know it's the it's it's really the first parental person in Harry's life that is so utterly kind to him, and he just kind of lovingly explains why why this wouldn't be a good thing. You know to 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 be going after and continue to look at, and I just I I love that. I love that performance and. I think he was a, a good choice. It, it saddens, and it still saddens me that he won't. He never got to continue, um, because I think it would have been interesting to see how they would have had him grow the role. But I think yeah, in this I first movie, say, he's excellent. It would have been really interesting to see how he took the grandfatherly role and sort of moved out of that into the stricter, more um, standoffish Dumbledore that you get in the later uh, mm-hmm. series, but. Um, because, but because he doesn't have that, that he plays the kind grandfatherly Dumbledore the entire time. Yeah, it's hard for me to even imagine it. Like, it's because it's for Drea the exact reasons that you just stated is that it's almost like we we have two different Dumbledores in the book because he wants to distance himself from Harry as because he thinks he's protecting him. At least that's a, a couple books later on. But mm-hmm. you know, it's a, it's. Because, you know, Richard Harris did such a grandfatherly and loving role and Michael Gammon does the same thing, but just in a very different way. And he, Michael Gammon, I think, did such a great job of doing something. He had to do something different. He could not compare himself to Richard Harris because there's only one Richard Harris. Um, But I think that's why I'm having such a hard time imagining Harris later on because Gammon made it his own. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, and he just gets so much more time, you know, to do that. So he makes that impression a lot longer. And and again, you know, Harris, his second going, you you know that he's not doing well because he doesn't have the force behind him that he had in in that first movie. And and you can just tell it it's it's just not quite there. But here, I really love it. I, I think it's great. He'll always be Marcus Aurelius to me. Yeah, there you go. Uh, exactly. My wife was, uh, I was doing some podcasting stuff the other day um, and she was watching Gladiator because it was on TV and I all I could hear is the greatness that was going on in there. I was like, I got to do this stuff to get done. Um, I was like, I want to go watch Gladiator. Uh, but I, you know, I don't think that we can't, uh, I mean, you, you can't stress how good of a choice Alan Rickman was as Snape. I mean, he is just fantastic. Perfect. <laughs> I see what you did there. I love reading um, the article that came out. I don't know who had it first because it's now everywhere um, about J.K. Rowling having to sit down and have a conversation with Alan Rickman about the role of Snape before he would actually take it with the idea that he didn't want it because it seemed too one-dimensional to be like the dark shadowed bad guy like he's like "Eh, it's not that's not really me and then her bringing him into the folds and talking about like no he's so much more than that and letting him in on that 
so that he could give us the most amazing bad guy I've ever seen. I love Die Hard, and this is better than Hans Gruber. I mean... Hans Gruber! All you wish is that you were Snape, Hans Gruber! Yeah. That should be my ringtone. I was just here. Like, like I, what happens is, is that I see Snape and I imagine Snape saying, Clay. Bill Clay. <laughs> or uh, when he starts listing off all the cowboys. <laughs> Uh, or it's just like, or sometimes like at the reverse, like I just saw Die Hard the other, I just watched it again the other day and you know, like he's on his radio and he's talking to his man and it's like, turn to page 394. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, oh goodness. Picasso. I kind of expect him to be, ah, John McClane, ah, new celebrity. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I love it. I love though. I love how much he hates Harry right away. Like he just hates Harry. Like Harry has no idea why. Poor Harry's like, what the hell did I do? And but I love that there's a reason for it. A like a a deep emotional reason. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I do. But I love that Harry's face is just like, what? 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 That that always (laughs) that scene always pissed me off because. Like as as a kid, I'm just like he's just taking notes. He's taking notes because <laughs> we've all been there in class where we actually are trying to pay attention, and the teachers yelling at us because we're not actually listening to them. We're just trying to take notes of what they're saying, not what they're saying. You know what I'm saying? It's weird. Yes, yes. Oh, and the way that he just mouths off immediately too of oh clearly Hermione knows. You know, I just it it's it's a What's great is that Alan Rickman is able to bring humanity to that role. And and I think, you know, as you read the books, and, and this comes out way before we get the story of Snape, but I think his performance actually helped a lot of people think, well, maybe maybe he's not bad. You know, I, I really do think that performance, as well as the writing of Rowling, gave people always that doubt in their mind that okay is Snape good is he bad you know because there are times when both things play and I I love it it really is his performance that that does a lot of good the facial expressions he has and of course the intonation of the way he says things you know he comes off as such a jerk and it's it's perfect it's exactly what you need in this story you know it was sad that we lost Alan Rickman and um and it happened and it was so interesting because we I'd already planned to start this series. So I'm glad we we're getting to talk about him because I, I really do I loved Alan Rickman's characters throughout all of his career. Um Tristan, I know you're gonna crucify me for it, but uh, Love Actually is one of my favorite movies of all time. No, you can love uh, movies you know, I don't like. Yeah. <laughs> Die Hard is 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 just it's it's brilliant, you know. I mean so he is somebody who will stay with us, and, and I'm glad that, you know, every year I at least watch one Alan Rickman movie, um, and if it's usually just one, it's probably a Harry Potter movie, so. Yeah. 
That's pretty And incredible. I do love that. I mean, Alan Rickman's so amazing that even Family Guy can't do anything besides make Alan Rickman more amazing by having Alan Rickman leave a voicemail for Alan Rickman. Like That is in my head all the time. That's like the worst they could do. That's how amazing Alan Rickman like, is, is the worst they could do, is make you listen to 90 seconds of Alan Rickman say Alan Rickman. Like, <laughs> Hello, Alan Rickman. It's Alan Rickman. <laughs> Alan Rickman. Hello. Remember to pick up the groceries. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, I'm trying to think, you know, other major characters that we get here, one is, is uh, obviously Robbie Coltrane playing Hagrid. And I also have to say, it's just spot on. It's perfect. You know, like, this is exactly what you think of when you think of Hagrid in the book. This this burly, big, gruff, and wonderfully lovable giant. You know, like, it's it, and he does it so well when he's like, bust down their door, you know, on the island. He's like, sorry, sorry about that. And he picks up, you know, it's just like, it's it's so awesome. And I, then he spells happy birthday, it. Harry, yes. all completely, completely wrong. Completely wrong. It's awesome. I mean, he gives uh, the the pigtail to, oh, it's just so Seriously, good. Yeah. yeah. So I is love it, him. Yeah. Is it the first one or the second one where he, he, he does the I shouldn't have told you that bit? No, it's this one. This I was going to say that was my favorite Hagrid moment was he always like gets going and then he's like, oh, probably shouldn't have told you that. It's like all you need is to put fluff, Fluffy to sleep. Is player a bit of music? I shouldn't have told you that. You know, it's just it's it's just like he did it like three or four times. It became a bit, and I loved it. That was my favorite recurring joke of of the first movie. That, yeah. and I love when he leans over to Harry's like, um, "Best not to mention this to anyone, Harry. I'm not strictly allowed to do magic, uh, you know." And it's just he's so. I mean, yeah. Um, Robbie Coltrane was picked um, specifically by J.K. Oh, I can see that. Yeah, I can. Whew, uh, and so glad he doesn't die. Anyway, that's a whole other part. <laughs> but if you if you want to talk about yeah. arcs, we need to talk about how Neville was here Neville. from the beginning. Yeah, think about think yes. about the the influence he has in the last movie, and then look at how he was in the first movie. It's fantastic. I, I love Neville, and I love how he embodies the Gryffindor, like standing up to them, and how he's I, the whole movie's about Harry, but the person who scored the winning house points was Neville for being able to stand up against his friends. Like, he's just always, he's always that reliable Gryffindor. Like, he may be a little, like, clumsy and fumbly, and you're kind of like, oh, Neville, you're going to grow up to be so hot someday. Um, But at the same time, he's so, he's just like, I'm brave, and I'm doing what I know is right, even though you're not going to like me. And they're like, oh, it's okay, Neville. I'm sorry, I'm going to freeze you into a stone, you know? Yeah, he's the underdog you want to root for, that you want things to go well for. Like when he goes to the dance, you know, in Goblet of Fire, you you know, you know, you're you're just happy for him. You're proud of him. And it's it's just so great. And also, you know, he's an he's an orphan. He's already been through some tragedy. He lives with his grandmother. I love that kind of backstory. We have it's, it it gives him real backstory. It's not just canned, you know, childhood that we get in every other novel. Like this is this is a unique background for this character who we think is who we think is just a throwaway, but then evolves into something much, much more and integral to the overall story of Harry Potter. Especially if you're talking about the books versus the films. Mm-hmm. He's much, yes. much bigger in the books than he is in the films. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Well, and what's cool about him is that he starts this trend that it goes throughout the rest of the series is that Harry has a way of attracting what people would think of as the strange people to him. And yet they end up being the people that are the closest to him, you know, uh, uh, and part of his posse, if you if you will. Um, you know, you get Neville, you get Luna, you get all of these type of characters that are kind of social outcasts. And I think that this is one of the things that was just so fantastic about the movie is that looking at the idea of some of the themes, I think that's one of them that really resonates with a lot of people. And that's why they love Harry Potter is because it makes them feel like I'm not alone. You know, when you read the story, it is about a social outcast who doesn't have any parents, who isn't isn't necessarily special when you meet him. Um, and Harry doesn't, Harry's smart and clever and all of those things, but he's not the smartest character. You know, he just has a lot of heart and he puts all of it into everything he does. And that's kind of what makes Harry special. And it's strange, too, because when you think about it, you know, with Harry, Harry was raised and everything, he probably should have turned out more like a jerk. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, just when you think about how he's raised and how he's mistreated and all of that, there's a good chance he, you know, he might have turned out differently, maybe. And the other theme of self-sacrificial love with his mom, maybe it had more of an impact than we thought it did than just him, you know, being protected from Voldemort. So um, I, I love that. I love that this film is, is like you were talking about earlier, Tristan, as childish as it is, as wonderful as it is and wondrous and magical and all that, there's real depth here even in this first book and first film they're really setting like harry doesn't have a choice um as this like chosen one and even at the beginning of this book you start to see him i think what makes him such a great character is he's a great leader he knows he can't be the smartest he knows he can't be the strongest or the bravest he knows all these things but he inspires the people around him who are the smartest at what they do or who are the most talented to come and join him just solely based on the fact that, you know, he can draw them like in um, order of the Phoenix order of the Phoenix, when he forms Dumbledore's army mm -hmm. and he's teaching them all the defense against the dark art stuff. Like it takes a leader to be a teacher and he would be, I would, I would learn from Harry Potter. Like he was an awesome teacher. And I think that's something that's really unique about him as a character is sometimes you find this hero as like the valiant fighter, but Harry's just Harry. He just knows how to inspire the people around them to also be the best Hermione or the best Ron or the best Neville, um, whether it's challenging them or just encouraging them. I love that, that, yeah, this, that starts here. Mm -hmm. um, by picking people that aren't necessarily going to be popular, you know, um, I, I even love, you know, when they're walking away from the classroom and Ron is making fun of Hermione and Harry is like, I think she heard you, you know, you can tell like he has a heart for people, you know, and, mm -hmm. and he can feel for them. And, and, and most likely that is because of how he grew up and how he was mistreated that it hurts him too because he knows exactly what it feels like um and i think that's a wonderful thing to see in this character and it brings something out you know and it goes back towards this idea of it, the whole thing is 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 set up and it's built on this foundation of his parents sacrificing themselves for their son 
And that idea that self-sacrificial love has a power beyond anything else we know, I think is really powerful. Um, and that's a theme that goes... It, what's interesting is that's the theme that starts in this book and it finishes the seventh. You know, yeah, it uh, really does. And, and, you know, as much as people like to say that death is what this series is about, even J.K. has kind of said that, that the story is really about talking about death but I think it, at the same time, it's also talking about how we live life and why we might die, what we'd be willing to die for. You know, and in the end, Harry's mother is willing to die for her son. And in the end, Harry's willing to die for his friends. And it's a, it's so beautiful. And, and it's so it's so very spiritual in the end, too. Um, so I've never understood why people got frustrated with Harry or said you shouldn't read it or whatever because it's got some amazing messages in it that uh, go with the best of, of um, you know, certain religions. So, I, yeah. I was I was and am a part of that culture, and um, I remember being so confused as a child when that when people would would say that to me because I, I would literally be at church and I would be talking with some fellow people about what they were going to do over the weekend, and, um, like, I remember one, one parent, one mom saying, well, you know, like, um, you know, Jennifer, her class is going to go see uh, Harry Potter. So obviously she's not going to go do that. So I'm going to have her do something else. And I'm like, well, why, what, why is that obvious? Why, why, why wouldn't she want to go see Harry Potter? And then my mom jumps in practically wearing her cloak going, Expelliarmus! <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I know. I'm the one hearing all these things like, oh, you shouldn't read this. I'm like, oh, well, let me, let me pick this up here and let me give it a read. Oh, I shouldn't be doing this? Oh, oh, no. Maybe I'll have oh, a, no. a spot of Earl Grey while I read this. Hmm. <laughs> Maybe I'll start saying everything's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, it was, it, was, it was baffling to me even as a young child, and it's baffling me today. And one of my, <laughs> one of my favorite quotes about Harry Potter, which is a fake quote, um, it's, it's ah, a, I love fake quotes. I know it's a fake quote by Stephen King, and we've all heard this. Harry Potter is about confronting fears, finding inner strength, and doing what is right in the face of adversity. Twilight is about how important it is to have a boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I could have just uh, read. Uh, I could have just read the first part of the quote, but you had to get the whole experience. Oh no, no, totally true, totally but true. Yeah, that's been attributed um, to Stephen King, but I don't think he actually said it. <laughs> that's too bad. It's a good one. Well, whoever said it, way to go. Good job. Um, good job. Well, and I mean, even I mean, think about this. Um, that how in how, how empowering is this book for lots of different types of people? It's it's not just girls, but it's everyone. Like this is a book that and a series that celebrates inner strength and the best of each character. You know, and, and and it's not a, it's not afraid to talk about their failures too. You know, and and what they need to work on. You know, but in all ways, I, I that's one of the things I think that makes Harry Potter really special and a really good story. And it starts here in in this first book um, with these kind of this trinity of misfits coming together uh, to create a really powerful force that is going to be able to defeat you know, the worst wizard ever known. Um, and it's it just creates a, a great mythic story that we can keep reading over and over and over again. And we didn't say this earlier. One of the parts that makes this a great st 
story book-wise, but and and somewhat the movies, but it feels kind of timeless. You know, it, it's it's pulled enough out of time, so I don't immediately think, oh, well, that was just the '90s. You know, uh, especially when you read the books. And then the movie is a little bit less so because there are certain aspects of our you know everyday life that, especially as you get later on, flood into things. But the first movie, I feel like, really does a great job of feeling. I can watch this movie anytime and not be pulled out because, you know, uh, Dudley is playing on an iPad or something like that that puts it in a, a, a he's just watching TV, you know, uh, and that kind of stuff. So it, it's great. It's it's really it's a really great setup. So, well, in this first this first movie and first book also set up a recurring like sort of iconic things you can expect in every single book. Every single book has him going back to school. Every book has something to do with Christmas and every book has something to do with the end of the school year. So, I mean, like they create this sort of like pattern that you can expect from every movie and theme. It sort of builds its own structure of to work within that you can expect from what you're going to read or see. Well, there isn't a ton to talk about here. Um, and Tristan, you kind of already asked this and we'll talk a lot more about this section. I think when we get to the other films, uh, but and you're the kind of movie versus book discussion, and this movie does a really good job. And some it's been knocked for it for putting so much of the book just literally on film, but I think it was a really well done, like you said, adaptation. And they got most of the story there, and the things that they cut out, you know, like uh, the 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 way that the uh, Nimbus Two Thousand arrives, uh, Harry and uh, Hermione don't uh, send Norbert away. You know they cut some of those kind of things out. There's no um, almost duel at midnight, that kind of stuff. They just condense some of that down, and I I think it does an adequate job, a really good job of actually representing the full reality of the story. The only thing I'll say is that this, and it starts here. Uh, Cloves does kind of have a bad job of making Hermione even smarter than she is in the book and Ron even dumber. <laughs> uh, and yeah. it's a little frustrating because it downplays the importance of Ron's character enough in the films because each one of these characters does have a reason for being there. And Ron is really our eyes into the the wizarding world. You know, Hermione and, and Harry are muggles, and there's a lot, even as smart as Hermione is, as much as she reads, there's a lot of things she doesn't understand instinctively that Ron does. That's what kind of makes him special, and there are some scenes in this movie where they they took certain lines away from Ron and gave it to Hermione and kind of just made him look a little bit dumber. And it, it kind of flows throughout the, the rest of the films that way too. So to me, that's the only thing really in this one that I can see where I, I, I like some of the parts in the book better because I think the character of Ron is serviced a little bit more. Um, but other than that, I mean, I can read the book and I can watch the movie. I really, there's there's not a lot of like, oh, well, I love the book so much more because it's got so much more to it. So much better. You know, they really do such a good job. I did like what they did with Ron in terms of the wizard chest, though near the end mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. and how he got to kind of be like, look guys, I'm the smart one here. Like I figured out the end to this and it's that Harry's the only one he gets to go on guys. Like 
Like, although on, on the same page, going back and rewatching it, I'm like, all he did was fall like six feet off a stone. <laughs> like, and he's fine. <laughs> he he's young. He'll bounce back. Just rub like, some dirt on it. You'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah. It's he, and everyone's like, oh, and you're like, hey, he's fine, guys. He tripped down the stairs. Like it's no big deal. <laughs> I well, he's I fine. I feel like that moment for for Ron was very redemptive to what matt was saying about how he he does play it as a goof and he's he's kind of dumb you know he's much dumber in the in the movie than he is in the book but once we once we get to that chess scene it not only does like dre you you hit it on the head where he recognizes that harry is the only one who can who can go on and, and win the day but it takes a strong personality and a very courageous one to admit that there are people who are more important to the mission than you are. And for him to realize that at such a young age could be defeating to some, but not to Ron. And mm-hmm. that's a huge Definitely. strength of his character. And I mean, he, Harry would never think that about himself and he needs Ron to be like, no dude, like you go on. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you here, but you got to keep moving. Right. So right. I'm going to fall off this horse and we're all going to be good. And you're going to keep moving on. It's yeah, it's it's a great thing, and and again, I think when there really isn't a whole bunch of that book versus movie here, they just do a great job. I actually like some of the more literalness of the adaptation. That it's just, you know, that's what you read in the book. This what you get in the movie. Uh, there will be some places when we talk to some of the other movies where I get really upset. I love the film. But I also get really upset about how much they cut out and some of the important things they cut out that were actually really important. Uh, that's a whole other podcast for a different movie. Anyway, uh, let's get to the music because I because we're it's shocked. John Williams, uh, and not just that, but I uh, I don't think I'm wrong here. Just as Star Wars was made as much by the music as anything else. I really think that this first Harry Potter film, the atmosphere that Williams creates and the themes that he makes for Harry Potter, you're immediately in that world. Like, he just ushers you in with the music, and you never leave, you know? And and, and that is an amazing—and I, I can't even talk. I think this is probably— this and the third movie are Williams' best scores, I think, in the like the last twenty years. Um, it, it's it's just beyond brilliant because he created some of the most iconic themes he had ever created, uh, and he did that thing that he did for Star Wars. He created a auditory language for how you understood the characters. And that's an amazing gift that he has theme- thematically. The first thing you get in Harry Potter is that little music box melodic Harry Potter theme song. Like that is the first thing you get in the Harry Potter world. And it's amazing. It's perfect in its simplicity. And it I hear it in my head right now. And it's, there's no, it, it's, it's just there. There's I can't imagine Harry Potter without it, and I, you can't say that about a lot of stuff. And <laughs> it's like Star Wars. I can't imagine Star Wars without that either. I mean, there's it's so iconic. It's perfect. John Williams is great at a lot of things, but one thing that I think he is best at is creating memorable themes and themes that immediately make us recognize not just the music itself, but what it represents. And 
it's it's so amazing because um you know like this is a man who like intimidates han zimmer like han zimmer didn't want to do man of steel originally because he was scared that he was going to have to be compared to john williams amazing superman theme and when you look at the harry potter theme you know like dre like you said at the very beginning it's the first thing we get and it's just like it's real light it's real subtle it's you know and then do you remember in the um in the marketing campaigns i think i can't remember which movie it was but it was a david yates movie one of the later ones and it might have been deathly hallows i'm not quite sure or the one before that where they revive john williams theme but in a much more epic way so like where at the first movie it's like but in this one's like and so it's it's over the top and epic and it's it shows the growth of the music as well as the growth of the franchise and the kids. And it's all while being an ode to John Williams because these later movies are, once again, in multiple ways, building off the foundation that started all in Philosopher's Stone. And I will say, as well, when you get to later films and, and Williams doesn't do anything after the third film, none of the other scores have anything that that comes close to the themes that he created uh it, it's just it, everybody else is trying to get there they just they never can i love the rest of the scores they're good they have some good tracks but nothing is as beautiful as what he's able to do and we'll get to it in the third movie but i think actually the third movie has my favorite track by john williams ever um so stay tuned <laughs> i i have to admit that i'm a sucker for patrick doyle's uh goblet of fire though like oh. i mean john, john williams well, then we can great. be on and argue about it mm -hmm. i'm not arguing it's just patrick doyle has a a special corner of my heart carved away just for him and it's uh he's done some of my my most favorite movies and that that music when um the visiting schools come in you know, mm -hmm. like, and they they start like you know like pounding their 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 staffs on the ground and making the the thunderous noise. That when mm -hmm. I when I think about like epic moments in Harry Potter, that 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 song is the one that comes uh, comes to bear. I also like the fanfare when they're doing all the Goblet of Fire events right before they like yes. trigger whatever event. Yes. The the trumpets, yeah. Oh man, Harry Potter! It's such a rich world, and I I'm so excited to uh, continue talking about it this year and one of the things you'll notice is we'll kind of bleed over every once in a while into some other films we promise to try and stay you know dedicated to the film we're talking about or reference the one you know before uh but uh it's it's great i this is fantastic the fact that we got to start off with such a i, I think it's a great film um I don't. I don't know. Uh, I guess since we're doing the retrospective, it'd be kind of interesting. Out of five stars, or our five broomsticks, we'll do broomsticks. Where would you rate Harry Potter and the Philosopher or slash Sorcerer's Stone? Uh, I would give it um, four Rememberalls out of five, <laughs> um, because I can't remember what I did with the fifth one. Um, <laughs> No, it's just I think I think this is a great movie and it's a great start of the franchise. It's the start that we needed. I am giving it a four, not because 
I don't think it's a perfect movie. Well, you know, far, not too many movies are a perfect movie, but there are several films that I enjoy a great deal more than Philosopher's Stone. Um, so I think that's why I'm giving it a four out of five. Because if I give it a five, then what would I give, you know, The Death of Hallows Part Two? You know, seven out of five. You know, so I'm gonna go with three and a half Quidditch goals out of five. Probably similar reasons. I I have to say Goblet of Fire and Order of Phoenix are probably my two favorite because that's that turn from childhood to the the dark adult side. Um, but it, it has so... We can't get those without this. So you can't completely discount it. And it's not a bad movie by any stretch of the imagination. Twilight is like light years... Parsecs like behind it. Um, but... Um, it's not my favorite, but I think my least favorite is Chamber of Secrets, so it's also not my least favorite. So, um, yeah, three, three and a half I, Quidditch goals. I've never met... Ron kind of caught it. <laughs> I've never met another person who has said that Goblet of Fire might be their favorite one and that Chamber of Secrets is their least favorite one. So, yeah, I, I, exact same thing. Exact same thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, I also hate snakes, so I couldn't like watch <laughs> half the movie. <laughs> Much uh, like Indy. Kind of didn't work for me. Snakes. Why did it have to be snakes? Yeah. I like how both Matt and I immediately went to an Indiana Jones quote. Indiana yeah. Jones. <laughs> yep, exactly. Goodness. Well, since I'll be on all of the podcasts, I won't, I won't give away any of my thoughts on the other films uh, in that way. But I will say this is a, it's a great, and this is a, such a solid rating. It's a, it's a three and a half out of five broomsticks. Yeah, broomsticks. Yeah. <laughs> We're just going to go with broomsticks. broomsticks. Uh, yeah. You can go with broomsticks. Uh, Nimbus 2000s. Three and a half out of five Nimbus 2000s. So and like Harry broke one of them. Exactly. That <laughs> exactly. Right. Um, and it, it is. It's it's because it really does. It sets the foundation for everything. And there will be films that come along down the line that I like better than this one. So like you, Tristan, I can't give it like, you know, four or five because then my rating scale seems weird. So yeah. Everything that that's going on in this movie, I like so much, and I find myself liking it more the more I watch it. A lot in the way that I liked the movie when it came out, and it was great. Uh, the same thing happened with the Phantom Menace. You know, the 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 more I've watched it, actually for me, the more I've liked it, and the more I've appreciated. It. And the same thing with this film, the more I appreciate it, I think it's just the older I get, really what's going on. So I think it's an incredible. Uh, movie and it's a great start to the Harry Potter franchise and so I'm so glad we got a chance to start talking about it I really want to thank our associate producers through Patreon for making that possible every single week here at the 602 Club. Ken Tripp and Davis Grayson uh, it's because of their support through Patreon that we're able to bring all of this content to you now this year is going to be huge for trek fm it's the 50th anniversary of star trek and we want to make sure that we continue to bring you the best possible content out there for star trek and beyond and beyond beyond you can go to patreon.com slash trek fm and you can see how you can make sure that you help keep all of this content to mean to you we're a listener-supported network, so check everything out at patreon.com slash trek.fm. We've got some great perks for you if you decide to join us. Exclusive content, producer credit, seats on the content development team. We've got the Patreon roundtable and so much more. And we really do thank you for your support. It's, it's just a blast to be able to do this. Both of my guests here have amazing things that they do beyond being in the Leaky Cauldron. And Drea, I'd love for you to tell everybody where, one, they can find you online, and then, of course, uh, 
about your wonderful partnership with Educating Geeks. Um, I am at PCFChick on Twitter, um, and I am an associate producer with Educating Geeks, which is educatinggeeks.com and at Educating Geeks on Twitter and Facebook. Um, and we are a group of geeky people who like to share our geekiness with each other versus shaming people for not having experienced something. Uh, so our episodes are about educating a member of our group or a guest host on a topic that others are really passionate about or not so passionate about and having a discussion about introducing people to a fandom versus like kind of shaming them like, oh my gosh, you haven't seen Doctor Who or you haven't seen Harry Potter. Uh, yeah, I know, right? Um, so we like to bring you in and be like, okay, well, you haven't seen Harry Potter where you're going to sit down and watch Harry Potter because just like this conversation, it's amazing. So uh, that's that's what we do. And uh, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, our own website, educatinggeeks.com. That's where you can find us. Now, Tristan, I know that you have two amazing podcasts you need to tell everybody about and as well where they can find you online so they can talk to you about Star Trek or Harry Potter or any of the other wonderful geeky things that I know you love. Well, uh, one podcast that I'm a part of that um, I started with my with my friend and co-host Matt Hansen is The Nerd Party. You can find us at thenerdparty.com. And we are, it, it, we are uh, two people who really focus on trying to stay positive in this ever nerd rage culture that we're a part of. We, we, we try... Like, sure, we're critical of certain things and critical of movies, but we try to put a positive spin on it as much as we can. Like, you're not going to see any rants on our podcast. You're not going to see us talk about how much things suck unless it's Mission Impossible 2. You know, like, it's just those are the type of things that we try to avoid. <laughs> but uh, we, uh, you know, we do anything from movie reviews to music reviews to top five lists of, you know, TV shows we're most looking forward to coming back on the air. You know, thing, things like that. So... It's a. It, I find it a lot of fun. So if you want a place just to geek out and uh, and but while staying positive, go to thenerdparty.com. You can also find me on the Trek FM network with To the Journey with my wonderful co-host Charlene Schmidt. She To the Journey. To the Journey. <laughs> to the Journey. She is absolutely amazing. She is. Um, she's my rock, and um, I finally get to meet both of them in Star Trek. Vegas 50 this year. It's going to be my first Vegas trip, my first Vegas con. And uh, you can also find me on Twitter at the Insane Robin, where I, uh, yeah, I, I talk about uh, like mainly Star Trek, but all things geeky, really. So come and find me and uh, say that you heard me on 602, and I'll try to follow back. Oh, and we can totally vouch for Charlene, too, because we've had her as a guest, and she recently moved to the general area that we are in as well, and can vouch that she's pretty, pretty phenomenally awesome. You get no Man. argument from me. Man, you guys just all live near each other. It's so cool. Anyway, um, well, I don't live near anybody, but you can find me on Twitter at MattRushing02. You can also find me on Instagram at MRushing. I do The Orb with Christopher Jones, where I talk about Deep Space Nine. Love doing that show. We just hit number 100. So excited. Woohoo! Uh, you can find me on Literary Treks with Dan, where we talk about the books and the comics of Star Trek. We also interview the authors. And then I do have my own personal blog at 42lifeinbetween.wordpress.com. I want to thank you so much for joining us. And y'all come back now, you hear?
recording. Check, check, one, two, one, two, check. Wow, that's a fine-looking waveform. Really good. I'm my, impressed. My name isn't waveform, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I no, Tristan, it's Dreas. <laughs> so, come on. Oh, oh God. <laughs> oh, gosh. Pop the collar.